in, in 1946 uh, as well, Holiday uh, would win the uh, Metronome Magazine popularity poll um, as well. So, so at that time, she's sort of reaching her peak. Um, oh, that's good timing. But what happens... It, that was a good music joke, by the way, because oh. it was the Metronome Award. Like, so I said it was good timing. I said I got it, Steve. Okay. Okay. Uh, Woo! um, Jesus. Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. Oi. And Ryan. Oh, it worked pretty well this time. That was that was a yeah. good queen snap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love fucking Topo Chico, by the way. No, it's it's um the truly the truly hard tees because Publix has oh, nice. sale and get one. My dumbass had Guinness last night, and I'm paying for it today by having more beer than I normally drink in a weekend. Yeah, Guinness is delicious, though. You can get away with it. It's very light. Yeah, it's a meal, and it's only like 145 calories. So, well, it's yeah. a little more than that. It's like a buck seventy, I think, because I got the uh, tall boys. So, are you calorie counting? Yeah, I always calorie count. Well, then listen, start drinking seltzers with me because they're only a hundred. Well, I kn- I know that. I mean, I have a whole thing of it in there. Um, but um, Saturday, when we normally record, I don't have to worry about it too much because. I normally eat like shit on Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's like my my ditch day kind of. Yeah. But today, <clears throat> trying to stay under. Listen, speaking of eating like shit, I tried the Sp- new McDonald's uh, <laughs> sp- <laughs> spicy crispy chicken sandwich. Yeah. Now let me preface this by saying that I'm never happy with McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? Like, you go to McDonald's just because you're hungry. I am, but I'm very easy to please. So if you put a lot of cheese on something, I'm usually. I'm all in, you know. Usually with McDonald's, I'm just like, ah, okay, food, cool, whatever. It's quick, it's disgusting. Just get, put it in my face hole, okay? Yep. But the spicy chicken sandwich, the new one they have released, is a new level of disappointment. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should go see what Review Bra has to say about it. I bet you he hasn't even done one yet. He's kind of he's gonna hit that up. We we just got the uh, the uh, sourdough king from BK tonight, and it was fantastic. <laughs> It was uh, so good. They didn't. Um, they didn't really toast the sourdough, which is upsetting. Uh, but uh, still, it, it very soggy, good. Was it? No, it was like it was like fresh bread okay. instead of being toasted. It looked like they seared it with a lighter. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, like a creme like a, brulee. They just took a bic to it before they put it in the thing. Yeah, not even and a then, And then the lady inside yeah. just the lady inside just lit up another cigarette and put on a new BK hat. But uh, your sandwich, honey. I tell you what, the bacon was crispy. That there's like mayo on it. Oh my god, it's super good. And it's a full quarter pounder patty, so it's just fantastic. Listen, I'll total side note before we uh. Yeah, it was good. You'd like it, dude. Before we crank up into this total side note, but you said uh, looked like it was toasted with a bic. It reminded me of the ER I used to work at. We had a patient one night who got himself a ham and cheese sandwich and a drink to eat uh, from his kitchen, ostensibly. Uh, well, we have refrigerators in the in the ER. Oh, we got like, it. Oh, we got it in the ER. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so okay. he's a patient. Okay. Right? He's sitting in the bed. And he right. asked for a sandwich. Somebody gives him a sandwich. How I'm thinking that? this is pre-call. Like he's eating a ham sandwich, no, no, and then no, no, he no. called. 
emergency nah, nah. services. Yeah, nah. So he's sitting in the bed. He's eating the sandwich, right? Next thing you know, somebody smells something burning, right? Come to find out, homeboy <laughs> has taken the sandwich and hit it with his bick because in his words, he wanted a hot ham and cheese. Mao. Let me remind you. you I wanted a manicot. I compromised. I ate grilled cheese off the radiator. He has an open flame in an emergency room, and he's hooked up to oxygen. Uh, it's nice to know you're still alive, Ryan. I um, I have never been so like retroactively scared in all my life because I didn't know about it until about 20 minutes later, and I was like, "What does that smell?" And someone's like, "Oh, homeboy back there was trying to give himself a hot ham and cheese." And I was like, oh, that's cute. And you know, that sounds that sounds so euphemistic. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, man, the other day I was with my chick. She gave me the hot ham and cheese. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I was like retroactively terrified. Thing. I'm going to look it up on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of people who probably should. Speaking uh, of people that look like hot ham and cheese, things, let's talk about this jowly fuck Henry Anslinger. Yeah, so and keep in today, mind that the podcast is about Billy Holiday. <laughs> yeah, but I want to get my hate out for this guy. We're in we're in right. part two of the story of Billy Holiday, um, and we are going to start off um, talking about the man who would ostensibly um, be partially the cause of her death. Uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of things were the cause of her death by the time she died, but but you'll you'll come to see that like he wanted to make sure that she died. Um, Oof. So, uh, Ansling, uh, Henry Anslinger became the head of the Bureau of Narcotics under the Treasury Department um, in 1930. Um, at the time, Steve, I don't, I don't want to stop you here, but I, I post. I'm not going to say it on the podcast, but I did post the Urban Dictionary entry for hot ham and cheese <coughs> in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Just encourage our listeners to go ahead and look that no, up. No, I'm not encouraging anybody to look up hot ham and cheese on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Absolutely oh. not. Oh. All right, anyway. Sorry. <laughs> it's disgusting. So, and I, I misspoke earlier. It is Harry Anslinger, not Henry Anslinger. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Listen, um, you don't have to correct yourself about that hog. Fuck him. That might have been me. I think I might have said Henry last time. But anyways, um, he, he starts off in 1930. Um, at that time, prohibition is still going, um, and uh, illicit drugs um, are not really being um, targeted by the office. Uh, mainly, um, the, their main avenue with a lot of the enforcement they do um, is sort of um, by the government losing money from not being like not taxing it. Okay. Because um, at this time, a lot of these um, narcotics are being sold you know, over-the-counter by prescription. Um, so if, if you're not selling it through legal means, it, it's just more the fact that um, they're, they're not getting the tax revenue from it, which is their main concern. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really all they should fucking be concerned about. But I digress. About. I digress. Um, he is he is appointed by um, the, the department secretary, um, Andrew W. Mellon, um, who, who was the grand dragon of the coup? No, I'm just kidding. Well, was uh, his no, he's wife's distant, distant cousin to Carnegie Mellon? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh. um, and th- that man is the uncle of his uh, wife. Um, so he's initially given a budget of a hundred thousand dollars and a pretty wide scope on how to 
um, handle things. Bro, wait. The uncle of his wife? Yeah, is his is the guy who appoints him. Kevin Bacon. Oh, man. All about who you know. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, so, there have been restrictions on uh, marijuana throughout um, throughout time in the U.S., starting in 1860 um, in New York. Um, and then, it, after this, it was followed by other states um, uh, by the 1910s and 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, the food, uh, the Federal Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906 um, regulated the labeling of uh, medicines that included um, what was referred to as cannabis indica, which is today what we refer to as marijuana. Right. Um, in 1925, um, the United States also uh, re- regulated the use of hemp, um, which they call, or I should say, Indian hemp, as they called it, as a drug. Um, in what was called the International Opium Convention. I sounds like a hemp sounds like, like a party. I always thought hemp was like THC's shitty cousin. Like we make rope out of it. We make clothes out of it. Like we don't make clothing and rope out of I'm, marijuana. I'm going to stop you there, Ryan, cuz I don't know if you've read High Times magazine, but what we can do with hemp is astounding. <laughs> Dude, I have seen I haven't read High I Times think, since I was 16. <laughs> you know, it's crazy cuz Intel was originally going to use hemp in their processor cores, but I read that in High Times. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of I guess what I was getting at is why are they looking at this in a narcotic view when it's more like useful as not a narcotic. Like, it's not even a narcotic, if I'm not well, mistaken. Like, you can't really get high off of it, can you? Well, it, it's just because it seems... It, it looks very similar to marijuana. That's hard to tell the difference. Fucking God! <laughs> well, hemp and... We can't tell the difference, so fuck it, it's all illegal. Fuck you Hemp all. and marijuana are similar, but I think hemp and marijuana are from a, the same genus. Yeah, they're, they're, like they're, they're like... Yeah, they're cousins. And hemp actually does have medicinal qualities. Um, hemp oil is taken by a lot of people. I think it's yeah. anti-inflammatory. It's like CBD. It's like trying to smoke I take, CBD, I, I feel ta- like. I take CBD oil. Well, all, all cannabis indica has uh, cannabidiol in it. It's just... Uh, and the more it has, the the less like anxious the high is. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So. But I don't think they really knew all this back then because they were dumb idiots. So. Nah, it's a plant. It looks like the other well, plant. Make it illegal. The blacks are using it. Get rid of it. Fucking hippies. Well, they're they're also using like dentists are using cocaine and stuff during this period. So, dude, how listen? Let me tell you something. (laughs) I'd go to the dentist so much more. I'd be very excited about it. I don't think dentists were using cocaine, by the way. They were probably using like opium or something. But my dentist is listening because if you give someone, did he get you in there? Just think about it. Imagine someone's in the chair and they're getting like a tooth pulled, and you give them coke. The guy's gonna be sitting there like tapping the chair, just like yeah. You're gonna walk a tooth out. Of <laughs> no, 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 no. Cocaine is actually a very incredibly powerful analgesic, and if you are allergic yeah. to just about every other analgesic that is, oh, you mean using it? Oh, I didn't even know that. Have cocaine in the pharmacy. I didn't even know you could use it as an analgesic. Yep. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> right up the ass. No, um, it is actually incredibly <laughs> yeah, powerful. Just- just, just coke is second only to poppers. Anyway, well, head on. No, listen, coke on. Apply directly to the forehead. Well, so think when you get somebody who like quote unquote knows what they're talking about, right? Air quotes knows what they're talking about. Right? Ryan, Ryan's and, got a lot of karma on arrowhead. And they they rub their gums with the cocaine to see how pure it is because it makes their gums go numb. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen I've seen cops do that in seventies TV shows. And be like, oh, that's good stuff. I mean, I don't know if you could tell the potency of it, but it will make you go numb because it's an analgesic. Hmm. 
That's how they can tell uh, if it's actually cocaine, I'm assuming, instead of just baby powder or some shit. Yeah. Eventually, um, the United States adopts what's called the Uniform State Narcotic Act, um, which, which sort of goes out on a national level um, to, to sort of make laws around narcotics and their use. Um, so, before alcohol prohibition is done, um, Anslinger is actually quoted as saying that he didn't really view um, marijuana to be a problem, um, that he felt that it did not harm people, um, and he said, quote-unquote, there's probably no more absurd fallacy um, when asked about it making people violent. Was it Nixon himself, or was it one of Nixon's cronies that just basically said the quiet part loud, where they were like, oh, um, it's just going to be easy to criminalize these drugs and then go after the blacks and the hippies like that? Yeah, they, they out and out say that in the, the tapes. I forget if it was... I was going to say, like, was it Nixon himself was, like, one of his friends? Because I, I remember I, them saying the quiet part loud, and I was just like, oh, God, why would you say that? Oh, I, God. Why doesn't someone that? have, like, a supercut of that with, like, Sublime playing in the background, like, instrumental, you know? <laughs> it's got what I got in the background. Yeah. yeah. It just get rid of, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, I can't think of his name now. My brain's, my brain's done. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, um, he, he begins to shift, um, uh, shift towards uh making marijuana a target um because as prohibition is um going down um they're they're sort of like they're, they're sort of wheeling down on the first war on drugs which is against um alcohol um and because he sort of sees a way to keep his um keep his bureau relevant um and, and to get him more funding um he starts campaigning for a new one um against marijuana the worst thing about Prohibition was Carrie Nation running around unhinged with a fucking axe breaking people's property. <laughs> <laughs> just some doughy religious bitch just running around with a fucking axe just smashing bottles. It's really terrifying. He would, um, he would collect stories of, of marijuana causing crime and violence um, and he would ignore or, or try to discredit um, doctors who would point out, you know, that that it wasn't really a, a drug that caused, you know, crime. Yeah, it's politics. That has nothing to do with reality. And the other thing, too, is this asshole would... He would basically associate weed and being black and being, like, a musician. Because if I'm remembering correctly, musicians were, like, heavy targets for them back then just because of the ridiculous amounts of weed that well, they would smoke. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into a lot of his motivations and, and how he um, sort of... Um, shows uh, marijuana's influence on society. Um, but at that time, um, the American Medical Association, um, in which a panel of 29 out of 30 pharmacists um, in the drug industry um, objected to uh, the ban of marijuana um, because they felt that it was unnecessary because they said um, that it wasn't really um, something um, that would cause misuse. Right. So we knew from the giddy-up that this was not an illicit drug that would cause misuse. Native Americans knew a hundred years before that. Well, yeah, I mean, we can go, we can go back, but let's just let's say we'll start with the genesis of the ban, right? Yeah. So we knew from the start from professionals who dispense drugs that it was not dangerous. Oh, yes. the one, the one lone dissenter among the pharmacists, um, he he just he noted that he had he had encountered a doctor who was addicted to marijuana, um, and the bureau chose to to. To save, um, to, to only save, that, yeah. Oh, 
Oh, man. And the tests, as time goes on, just get better. Like, when they literally stuck monkeys' heads in, like, a fucking vacuum chamber and just filled it with 80 blunts. So, it... Yeah. That's what Reagan did. Amazing. Um, Anslinger, um, it, he, he sort of reported, um, that there were, um, an increase of, of marijuana smoking in America from 1936, um, it to 1937 at an accelerated pace um, because before then uh, marijuana had not been widely used outside of the southwest mm-hmm. um, it, it was mainly something that happened along the Mexican border right um, so so he uses these um, he, he uses these reports that he's collecting to show that like marijuana smoking is increasing um, to, to go to Congress um, and to seek a new law that would um put marijuana and its distribution directly under federal control. Now, you're referring to it as marijuana, but I was under the impression that that was a another thing that was like, like Yeah, a they started calling it marijuana because it sounded so were they referring, Mexican. Were they referring to it as marijuana then? Or no, they used to say cannabis. They used to call okay. it cannabis. They I'm just wondering. They called it marijuana because literally they said that it sounded more Mexican so we could get anti-Mexican well, sentiment and, kicked and, off and to show you a quote from his campaign that he ran on the radio... Um, and, and also would, would say at forums he went to, um, mm-hmm. quote unquote, by the tons that, by the tons that is coming into this country, the deadly dreadful poison that racks and tears, not only the body, um, but the very heart and soul of every human being who once became, comes a slave of it, um, in any of its cruel and devastating forms, uh, marijuana, which he, he has a H instead of a J, um, is a shortcut to the insane asylum. Smoke marijuana cigarettes for a month, and what was once your brain will be nothing but a storehouse of horrid specters. Hashish makes a murderer who kills for the love of killing out of the mildest-mannered man who ever laughed at the idea that any habit could get him... Um... Sound it out. No, I was, that, that, it just it just ends there. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't think now, his, his fear no, I think I've said everything I need to say about marijuana. I'm going to go have a hot ham and cheese with my wife. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't In my wife. I don't think his fear-mongering would have changed a lot of minds. Because, remember, we grew up in the 90s when those anti-drug and the dare commercials were on TV with, like, the deflated girl sitting on the couch. And you had, like, the eggs cracked in the frying pan. And dare was hilarious. Dare bro, just... I dare, still all dare weed. did... I still smoke it, bro. Like all Dare did was tell you, all Dare did was tell you which drugs were safest. Yeah, that's all Dare did. I, I heard it phrased that that way. I did not come up with that. Uh, and it's it's so obvious. It's just the same thing with like the parental advisory uh, stickers and Tipper Gore. Now I know which fucking albums to listen to. You know. <laughs> so after using um, mass media. Um, to get in on this sort of propaganda campaign against marijuana, um, he also gains help um, from uh, Randolph Hearst's uh, newspaper, uh, William Randolph Hearst, um, who, who's always big on the yellow journalism and was also partially responsible for the ban on opium that happened in the 1800s. Um, right. And so he collected what he called his Gore Files, um, which was just a collection of, of quotes from police reports um, to, to sort of graphically depict um, the, the crimes that marijuana users were committing. Dun, right. dun, dun. Um, they, they were written in like a very like concise uh, language and, and resembled a police report. Right, like Gavril Principe, he was high. Yeah, like one of his... Um, 
one of his targets was a um, that, that he mentioned in the Gore Files was a Florida native named Victor Licata. Oh, is that the um, dude that killed his family? Yeah, he, he killed yeah. his family, and it says an entire family was murdered by a youthful addict in Florida. When officers arrived at the home, they found the youth staggering about in human slaughterhouse. With an axe, he had killed his father, mother, two brothers, and a sister. He seemed to be in a daze. He had no recollection of having committed the multiple crimes. The officers knew him ordinarily as a sane, rather quiet young man. Now he was pitifully crazed. They sought the reason. The boy said he had been in the habit of smoking something which youthful friends called Muggles, a childish name for <laughs> marijuana. Oh, no. So that they immediately drew a correlation between the two or Had was me. the attempt so i always like stories like this because like i'm wondering was the attempt to draw the correlation between the two or was there no correlation drawn and it was a political attempt to draw the correlation well i think well oh, go on go ahead no, no go ahead i want to hear yours I, before i put in my ridiculous ignorant opinion well, well i think it's one of those cases where um someone commits a crime and something's involved or it just just happens to be tangentially involved like yeah. he started smoking like like marijuana or they found it or whatever and then sure. so they attribute it to that like like someone commits a crime and they're wearing like a mega death shirt so then they're like or oh it's that satanic devil music uh, yeah i got gotcha. you i got gotcha. you that's what i figured and then they just you know kind of jump it up a little bit um, that, that was exactly what I was going to say too. Yeah, it was just oh, you smoking weed. That's it. So we know we we know today that Wakata didn't actually murder his family due to his use of marijuana, surprisingly, but due to severe mental illness, um, which he had been diagnosed um, as having earlier on in his uh, life. Well, we didn't we didn't have mental illness until uh, well, I guess we still kind of don't. <laughs> no, we have mental illness now. Yeah, no, they, they I mean, I mean, like, I mean, like your average person. There's a dis- there's still a disdain and a stereotype for mental illness at that level. Like, they just want to just lock them all up, you know what I mean? That Most kind of thing. Yeah. Most people are yeah. gross. Yep. I mean, um, definitely lock that guy up, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely lock him up, though. And I definitely don't want him high. Actually, maybe if he smoked more weed, he'd relax. Yeah, it might mellow him out. <laughs> yeah, maybe he wasn't smoking enough weed. <clears throat> that was, um, it, was la- it was laced... It was laced with pep, <laughs> verb. Um, so of of the um, of of the crimes that are listed in the Gore Files, there are two hundred of them. We know for a fact that one hundred ninety-eight of them were wrongly attributed to marijuana, which which is obvious, but but we know for like a fact, you know, because like you can do like we just look at it and like yeah, that's all bullshit. But like researchers actually looked into them and found that they were all actually bullshit, and there were real reasons for why these crimes were committed, and the two. That we don't, that we can't confirm. It's because there's no records existing for those crimes. Because they probably didn't happen. <laughs> um, the yeah, first it two is possible they, they did happen, or that um, the the files, you know, were destroyed over time. Yep. Um, so during the during the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act hearings, um, Anslinger will, will retell the story of Lakata killing um, while giving his testimony to to Congress. Um, he would he would also um, use um, racist themes with his anti-marijuana campaign um, to, to give you some quotes. Oh, College God. students at the University of Minnesota partying with white female students smoking marijuana, getting their sympathy with stories of racial persecution. Result, pregnancy. Oh, my God. 
Two Negroes took a girl 14 years old and kept her for two days under the influence of hemp. Upon recovery, she was found to be suffering from syphilis. Steve, I'm going to need you to just do the rest of the podcasts that we do in that voice. Yep. <laughs> Forever. Or if and you welcome to the trilateral troika. Or if you write it out, I will give you the old-timey, uh, I'll give you the old-timey voice because I can hit it hard. <laughs> Yeah, listen. I can I, listen, but look, you could you could do it as like an old school announcer, like Nixon's uh, enunciation about it. <laughs> ah, we knew we couldn't make it illegal to either be against the wall or black, but by getting the public to associate oh the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and like criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. No problem. By golly. Yeah. Sir. Oh my god. <laughs> I sure do you really had good ad reads. <laughs> sure, you had weed and not like Gatorade and caffeine. Jesus. <laughs> It was it was a good sativa. It was an energy sativa. Solid sativa. It had it had Gatorade gum in it. It was so good. We water these plants with Gatorade, very much how Willie Nelson waters. Well, I called it a Gatorade. That's what plants crave. Um, And and one last and one last quote from from Ann Singer. Ah, come Uh, on. All right. Rifa makes darkies think they're as good as white. Oh my good god. Um. So. After after Billie Holiday sings "Strange Fruit," after she starts performing it, um, he yeah. This podcast th- is about Billie Holiday, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we so we're, we're building up Ant Singer's um, so, sort of yeah. Um, so after um, after she performs it, he begins threatening her and tells her to stop uh, performing the song um, oh. because. Um, one of Anslinger's big strategies to justify his budget um, is, is sort of like how police departments have, like the NYPD has like the rap, um, like the the branch of the police that just like harasses like rap people. I thought you um, were going to say they had a fucking department or precinct that just rapped. They like, did. They it was called Cop Rock. <laughs> while rapping. It was called it was called Cop Rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah produced by, it was produced by Dick Wolf. Um, so and, bad. and he would he, he would he would target um, uh, 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 minorities, especially African Americans, uh, with drug charges and harassment um, because they were high profile and they would justify his his sort of like racist um, overtones of his strategy and and also his general overall racist. Um, Anslinger had been known since the twenties as being incredibly racist for the time, like beyond what was the norm, um, and, and also at one point. Um, a senator from Pennsylvania, Joseph F. Guffey, um, called for his removal um, from his post because he used the N-word too many times in official correspondence. Bro, let me tell what, you Yeah, something. I think you mentioned if, that before. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. If you were racist in the 20s, like, if people look at you in the 20s and were like, yo, that dude is, like, super fucking racist, that yeah. motherfucker is, like, turbo goddamn racist. Like, that is a new level. Yeah, he's 20s, usually it usually means you're pretty egregious in some way. Oh holy shit! And like these are the this is the time that the people are just dropping the n bomb casually in conversation. So to be like, nah, he says it like too much. Like I know. holy shit! I know. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. In um, what was he a was he a senator? Yeah, Senator Joseph F. Guffey from Pennsylvania. No, uh, Anslinger. No, Anslinger is. Um, he, he just worked for the Bureau. I, I don't know what his official... I, I believe he's director. He's just of, some cunt. Yeah, he, no, 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 yeah, he's just some, he's just some dude. He's, he's literally just well, some dude. Well, he, he, he essentially keeps his job until 1964, I think. 
Of course he's he just does, some, he's civil just rights started. Who and then he was like, job it's not working, I'm out. Up dark people. That's civil it. rights Civil rights movement starts, and he's just like, I'm out. I'm, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm all done with this. It's not working. The weed wasn't the problem. Was, but I'm not going to say that. It was 1962 nope. was when he retired. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and he would have retired. Rights? No, I'm out. He, he would have retired sooner, we'll talk about, but um, he... Um, it wasn't processed due to JFK being assassinated. Um, hmm. So, in, in 1943, um, Billie Holiday is, is said to um, said in Life magazine to have "quote unquote." She has the most distinct style of any popular vocalist, and is imitated by other vocalists. Um, so she's gaining uh, more and more recognition, um, and eventually she signs on. Um, she signs on with um, Decca Records on August seventh. 1944 when she's 29 um she records the song lover man which goes to uh, number 16 on the pop chart and number five on the r&b chart and it's generally considered to be one of her uh biggest hits mm-hmm. um because of because of the success of that song it makes her a staple um within the pop music community um and and also leads to her having a solo career which is rare for jazz singers in the 40s yeah um, as, as she's going on with uh, working under uh, Milk Gabler, who's the head of the, the label, um, Holiday, um, Holiday asked Gabler um, to do um, strings recordings, which is not, um, not something that generally happens with jazz musicians. Okay. Um, so so she's, she's such a talent to a degree um, that she was actually able to get, um, to get a level of support that you wouldn't normally get for a singer um, of her type. Um, uh, Holiday wouldn't make any um, uh, Holiday wouldn't make any new um, songs after um, after Loverman um, until 19 in August of 1945. Um, and sh- during that time, she would record the song "You Better Go Now," um, which Ella Fitzgerald uh, said was her favorite song of Holidays. Hmm. Um, in September of 1946, um, she would work on a film in New Orleans. Um, in which he starred um, opposite Louis Armstrong and Woody Herman. Um, so this this movie um, is is plagued by uh, racism and McCarthyism, um, and a, a lot of um, a lot of what happens during the making of this movie um, is that uh, the the head scriptwriter Herbert um, Biberman. Um, is is pressed to lessen Holiday and Armstrong's roles um, to avoid the impression that black people created jazz music. Jeez. <laughs> um, right. uh, but there's, be- a good, there's a good argument that black people created music. But in but in 1947, um, uh, Bieberman is is among the Hollywood Ten um, who are um, who were Hollywood um, people, actors, directors, um, screenwriters um, who were sent to jail. Oh, for um, what? Uh, just Smoking just being accused of being a communist. I thought oh, I was gonna say. I no. figured it was communism, right? Yeah, just just <laughs> a, alleged or actual connections to the communist party. So let me ask a question then. How could they do this? I thought that freedom of speech, like, would protect political affiliation. Does it not? Well, they're they're all eventually um, they're all eventually freed. Um, no, yeah, but fuck eventually. Like, why? What? 
Like, um, why the, are you even putting handcuffs on them? The, the reason, being... well, the reason why they were why, why they went to um, why they went to jail was because they're of they were held in contempt of Congress um, because they wouldn't okay. answer questions uh, about their involvement with the Communist Party or any anyone they knew that was involved with the Communist Party. Okay. Okay. As long as we're making the point that they went to jail for contempt of court or contempt of Congress and not like for being communists, because that would just be like this egregious violation of First Amendment rights, right? Like, I'm not crazy, right? Um, You're not wrong. I think they believe that communism was subverting well, like, well, usually, the ideals. We, well, usually what they would tie it into was, was espionage. They would say that, uh, you know, if you were a member of the Communist Party, you were, you were most likely doing something to help. Um, they were doing that in 1910? This is 1947. Oh, 47. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was arrested in 1910. Nah. No, they're, they're okay. called the Hollywood 10 because it was, was 10 oh, people. Okay. Um, Dalton Trumbo from the movie Trumbo is one of them, which is a really good film. Um, he's one of like the greatest screenwriters who ever, who ever lived. So I've he... heard the word. I don't know what it means. <laughs> Trumbo also sounds like an Urban Dictionary thing. I need to look that up. He, uh, he, so, go ahead. Um, he, he had to write a lot of it under a pseudonym. Um, but he wrote like Spartacus. Um, he wrote um, Exodus. Um, just just a lot of other like Roman Holiday was his. Um, just just all these um, all these just sort of like big movies of the time. Um, but he couldn't even have his name on the movies. Trumbo, a slang term for marijuana. <laughs> That's what it says. Never heard it before. I've never heard it either. That's uh, crazy. And then there's also uh, the word of the day today, just for the hell of it, is the vax hole, which is someone who's been fully vaccinated for COVID-19 and is bragging about it. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> vax hole. How are we already starting this? Like, we haven't even gotten everybody vaxxed yet, and they're already starting this shit. Come on, man. Dude, it's an absolute joke. There's, I was watching a Mets game today, and I didn't see, any, like, any masks on in the fucking stadium. Like, it was nuts. It was nuts. Nobody. That's what happens. Come man. on down when, when and Governor Cuomo's, uh, you know, got all these allegations against him now, trying to get him to step down. Clearly, well, the, the entire COVIDity is a fake. You freaking vaccinate like a small percentage of the population in Florida, and all of a sudden, and they're all old. Well, and then all of a sudden, you're like, oh well, it's it's great. We're doing so much better. I'm just gonna go out and live a normal life, and then the numbers start going up. Like fucking morons, dude. It's just this whole thing. It's, well, we all knew bullshit. he was bad. We all knew he was bad, you know, when he when he tried to stop the mask, you know. It's, it's <laughs> the fuck. You know, like when Governor Cuomo fought the mask, you know. Mm-hmm. Because he looks just like the guy from the the villain from the mask when he puts on mm-hmm. the mask. Oh, mm-hmm. you, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he looks very similar to him. I yeah. just saw that one video of him, and that's all I needed to see. Well, there was that there was that one picture of him outside that like when all the people calling him telling him to resign and he had a blanket wrapped around his shoulders and a beer in his hand just looking sad <laughs> oh. i hope he is he, sad fucking piece yeah, of shit yeah he's a creep that um, fucking one video though where like he's like asking her if she's gonna eat the whole sausage and his mannerisms are like just he's like i don't even know it was like a slow seizure he was having like you're gonna <laughs> eat the whole thing well, what if what if the things that he said, that like to the to the woman or whatever the aide, was he was like, he was like I can't remember the last time I like, 
I like hugged somebody or something like that. It was like, what was the last time you, you hugged somebody? And, he's, the, and he was it, like, he's just sort of like trying to like weasel his way into like hugging her, but he was doing it in such like an awkward way. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Um, so, uh, Billy is work. This. So Billy is working on this movie uh, called New Orleans, which is trying to like trying in a way to to tell the story of like jazz music in New Orleans without saying you know um, black people had had any part in the creation of jazz music. Uh, it she she said of working on the film, they had taken miles of footage and music and scenes, um, but none of it was left in this picture, um, and very damn little of me. I know I wore a white dress for a number I did. And that was cut out of the picture. Um, <laughs> she, wow. she recorded the song uh, The Blues Are Brewing for the film soundtrack. Um, and she um, also included other songs. Um, Do You Know What It Means to Miss New Orleans and Farewell to Storyville. Um, while she's working on the film, though, um, her drug addiction becomes uh, a big problem. Um, and and she would earn during that time about $1,000 uh, per week from working in clubs. Um, but she would spend most of it on heroin. Oh. Um, her lover, uh, Joe Guy, um, traveled to Hollywood while Holiday was filming um, the, the film um, and would be her supplier. Um, Guy had to eventually be banned from the set because um, he was found out because um, he was found there by, by Holiday's manager, Joe Glazer, um, who didn't want him to be giving her uh, heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so by the late 40s, um, she begins going into more sentimental um, ballads. Um, and uh, the New York Herald Tribune reported of a concert of hers in 1946 um, that her performance had um, little variation in melody and no change in tempo. That doesn't sound good. Um, because at, at the time, uh, Metronome had expressed concerns um, about her song, um, Good Morning Heartache, um, saying, uh, quote-unquote, there's a danger that Billy's present formula will wear thin, but up to now it's wearing well. Um, she would reach her commercial peak in 1947, um, having made uh, $250,000 in the previous years. What's How that much of that should, did she get to keep? Today's money. Well, I think that's the money she made. Yeah, uh, okay. that she didn't turn into... Um, so that's over three years she made that much money. Um, and, and that she did turn into, you know, heroin. Uh. Um, in, in the poll in um, Downbeat, um, in, for 1946 and 1947, um, she was ranked second. Um, and she ranked okay. fifth in... What? I said okay. Um, and she ranked fifth in Billboard's annual um, college poll of girl singers um, on July 6th in 1947. Um, Joe Stafford was the number one um, uh, spot in that poll. Um, should we know who Joe Stafford is? She was another singer of the era. Okay, like just, should I recognize the name or like she's thing? I'm sorry, did she sing anything popular? How old are you? Uh, me, 34. Yeah, no, you shouldn't. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm a, ja- I'm a jazz. I'm a jazz blues guy. I don't know who the fuck Joe Stafford is. I think she's a pop singer. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, what the fuck is pop music, then? Blink 1910? <laughs> <laughs> Less than Jacob? Oh Get it? My God. Less than Jacob. 
But yeah, I've, I looked up her songs. I don't really know any. <laughs> she did a ver- she did a variation of of White Christmas. I bet she did. I think everybody has done a variation of White Christmas. I had a Beach Boys Christmas. I play it every year. That had a variation of White Christmas on it when I was like seven. It's a good song. Yeah, she's uh, she's definitely one of those like you you mentioned it to your grandparents and they might know who she is. Oh yeah, Joe Stafford, sure. Got her eights, tens, and twelve-inch discs. <laughs> I got uh, her recording over here on a piece of wood. <laughs> you just have to run a trowel across it very quickly. Your uncle was great at it. Got the perfect pitch. One tile back in nineteen aught. Now, now help your grandma crank the the phonograph. Oh now help her crank up. Now help your grandma get cranks on uh, <laughs> on trumbo. <laughs> I don't care if that Harry Trumbo was a red. He wrote good stuff. <laughs> that Dalton Trumbo. Dal- What's this obsession with calling everyone Harry? (laughs) I have been reading the something awful forums Donald Trump thread for so long that they don't like. Can't do it. It's a meme that. Well, it's a meme that they don't ever spell his name correctly. Right. Whenever you say like Donald Trumbo, I think of Donald Trump, and it's just driving me insane. Oh, okay. It's very unfair to Dalton Trumbo. Oh yeah, that's not fair. (laughs) Um, On um, in in nineteen forty six as well, Holiday uh, would win the. Uh, metronome magazine popularity poll um as well so so at that time she's sort of reaching her peak um, oh, that's good ha- timing but what happens is, that is was a good basic- music joke by the way because oh. it was the metronome award I so i said it. it was good timing i said i metro- got it steve okay okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, whoo oh, um, jesus on, on may 16th 1947 um, Holiday is arrested for possession of narcotics at her um, New York apartment. Oh, shit. Um, and this is where they get the name of that, that recent film, The United States uh, versus uh, Billie Holiday, um, because um, uh, when she's in court, um, she she recalls um, it, that it felt that way. Because the name of the course, uh, the name of the the case was the United States of America versus Billy Holiday, um, because it is a federal charge. Um, what? Why the fuck was it a federal charge? Because of the narcotics. Because remember, okay. narcotics has moved over to to a federal. Yeah, but they didn't have jurisdiction. Me, they didn't have state law or city. Well, I think I think it's because Anslinger was was running the operation, the Bureau of Narcotics, and it just went to them. Anslinger, fucking son of a bitch. <laughs> Um, so she she would go into court on May twenty seventh, um, and and during the trial, um, she she heard that her lawyer would not actually come to the trial to represent her. What? Um, and and she said of it um, in plain English that meant no one in the world was interested in looking out for me. So you had this very famous jazz singer because I'm not even going to downplay like she was famous like it's what it is but. There's going to tell me that there was no attorney that was interested in representing her. Um, her her appointed defense attorney, I guess, didn't didn't want to be involved in it, or maybe he was told not to. I don't know the the story behind it. What? Um, so uh, during the trial, she she's dehydrated and she's unable to hold down food, um, and she pleads guilty and asks to be sent to the hospital. Um, the district attorney would would speak in her defense, saying. Um, 
quote unquote, if your honor please, this is a case of a drug addict, but more serious, however, than most of our cases. Miss Holiday is a professional entertainer and among the higher rank as far as income was concerned. Um, she would be sentenced um, to Alderson Federal Prison Camp in West Virginia. Um, and because she was charged with a drug crime, um, she would lose her, her cabaret card um, to perform in New York City. Um, so because uh, because due to the loss of her cabaret card, um, she was unable to perform in any venue that sold alcohol. So what Cause it, what cause is it, the New York City cabaret card? Is it like the Actors Guild card or something? Well, it's, it's like a license. It's a license to sing? Yeah, it's a license to perform in... Um, in, in bars and other venues. Ah, uh, that sounds fucking sus as shit. That sounds literally a way for them to say, all right, you could perform, but if you do something we don't like, we're going to take it, so you, you can only... Hey, when uh, I was in a punk band and we played at the firehouse, um, I had to uh, I had to get a card that said I was the singer. I'm just kidding. I'm about to say... A oh, New Jersey... Oh, that sucks. <laughs> A Newark cabaret. Card. It, it was the it was the whitest punk experience because our our uh, the guy that was carrying all the equipment his fucking station wagon broke down, and uh, and the cops brought our equipment to the punk show. Wow, that is yeah. an incredibly Caucasian story. It was amazing. I started the show by saying I'd like to thank the police department for bringing our equipment. <laughs> and trust me, guys, it does not get any cooler. So let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Well, so, I didn't say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so after um, after Holiday lost her um, cabaret card, um, she could only perform in in concert venues and theaters. That's so ridiculous. Um, she would be released. Was that Anslinger's was that was that the thrust of Anslinger? Oh, oh no, he's not done yet. Oh God. Um, so she's released on, on March sixteenth, nineteen forty eight, for good behavior. Um, and she's um, she's picked up from jail um, by her um, by her pianist um, Bobby Tucker um, with her dog uh, Mister, which is the one that's in the picture um, that yeah. was posted of her. It's a good picture. Um, so um, Ed Fishman, who wanted to be um, Holiday's manager. Um, uh, said that she should do a comeback concert at um, Carnegie Hall. Um, but she was unsure of um, how audiences would, would accept her after her arrest. Um, so on, on March 27, 1948, um, she played Carnegie Hall to a sold-out crowd. Oh, shit. Um, how many people? Um, 2,700 tickets were sold in advance, um, which was a record at the time for Carnegie Hall. Is that is that a, is that a sold-out is that what it is, 2,700? Or is there more? Like, do they sell them at the door? Well, yeah, they sell them at the door if there's there's some left over. Um, try to see how much, how big the venue is. Yeah, I have no idea. Carnegie I mean, it's still Hall. impressive, 2,700 tickets sold in advance. When you haven't had the, a hit song out in the I think you're years, comparing right? Billie Holiday performing... In a concert to like college football games, I, I just don't think you're going to get the same. Her the 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 venue had um, the main stage at Carnegie Hall, um, the the Isaac Stern Auditorium has uh, two thousand eight hundred and four seats. Wow, so that's almost sold out. 
Yeah. That's nice. pretty baller. Um, and it, it's also unusual because she didn't have a hit record out at that time. That's what I'm saying. He hasn't um, done anything in at least a couple of years. Her her right. last record to chart um, before that was Lover Man, which came out in 1945. Yeah, wow. It's like three years. You've been off the grid for three years, and you just come back and sell out Carnegie Hall? Hello. Um, so It's uh, like Dr. Dre, man. It's fucking baller, dude. During during the show, um, she got sent a box of gardenias, um, which was she used to always wear um, a gardenia in her hair, um, and she. Um, but what happened was she took them out of the box, and when she fastened them um, to her head, um, she accidentally um, she accidentally um, stuck herself with a hat pin that she didn't notice. Oh no! Um, and she didn't feel anything. Um, she says, I didn't feel anything until the blood started rushing down in my eyes and ears. Um, and then after the third curtain call, um, she passed out. <laughs> Man, that's some, like, professional wrestling shit right there. That's some old Kurt Schilling bloody sock shit right there. Yeah. I'm, not convi- I'm not convinced that was real, by the way. It was real. Nah. That guy's, such a, that guy's such a bloated fuckhead. I, I, don't, I don't believe it I, I Listen, I don't believe it just because it came out of him. I believe it because there are some credible people that Did were you notice that Kurt Schilling talks like Jordan Peterson, by the way? He does? He has no. that, like, Kermit the Frog voice. Uh, yeah. High-pitched, uh, you need to clean your room. Um, and that you is what, the only way to MAGA, dig yourself out of a rut. My MMO failed, so I became alt-right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, eat shit. John Cruck was m- way way better person. Yeah. Um. So, in um, in in on April twenty seventh, nineteen forty eight, Billy performs on Broadway. Um, and the show was titled um, "Holiday on Broadway," um, and it's sold out. Nice. Um, That's pretty badass. Okay. She said that the um, the regular um, music critics and drama critics came and treated us like we were um, legit. Uh, but the show would close after uh, three weeks. Um, she would be arrested again on January twenty second, nineteen forty nine, um, and her room at the uh, the Hotel Mark Twain in San Francisco. <laughs> okay. So. Um, she, she's arrested again for drug charges, but um, they, they don't stick, and, and she's able to um, she, she's able to get out. Teflon, um, baby. <laughs> uh, Hol- Holiday would say that she began using hard drugs in the early um, 1940s. Okay. Uh, she at, at, um, in 1941, um, she had been married to a trombonist named uh, Jimmy Monroe. Um, okay. But while still uh, married with, uh, while still married to Jimmy, um, she became involved with a trumpeter named Joe Guy, um, who ah. was her drug dealer. Ah. Um, so she divorced with Roe in 1947, um, and she also split with Guy soon after that. Oh, girl! What? Listen, first and foremost, don't ever fuck the drug dealer. Never. He's your plug. You don't mix business with pleasure. By the way, a little advice. Don't use the term girl. Like, like colloquially. What do you mean? Some guy I work with, he said that. He was just being, like, folksy with someone he was talking to on the phone. And mm-hmm. he was like, girl, I got you. Like that. Oh, yeah, and no, she, no, you can't do that. She no. immediately no. said, I am not a girl. I am a woman. And, like, he got written up, dude. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's, like, it's different shit. in a customer service perspective, in a customer service setting. Right, 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 right. I'm like, girl, colloquially, you it's, shit. I guess it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> also, if anybody I, can confirm or deny this, are trumpeters better than trombonists, or how does that work? Yeah, I'd say it's a different thing. It depends so what your goal totem. is. It depends the, what your goal is. So on the totem pole, of the I band, was not right? part of the horn, so I don't really know. I mean, I played woodwind, <laughs> but it was just for me, so I don't really know. Like what the, I, right, we'd so have the, to ask a band person. On the totem pole of pulling pussy, as far as the brass section of a band, trumpeters get more, I think. Okay, because they can play ska too, right? Trumpeters you could be a lead ska, right? trumpeter. You know, I don't know if there's a lead trombonist in most bands. <laughs> maybe, maybe like real big fish. <laughs> 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 or like the pie tasters or whatever. You can, and trombonists always you can, sound like really depressed and sad too. Was it Five Iron Frenzy, the one um, Christian? Yes, yes. Aren't they Christian? As, I'm terrible because as soon as I as soon as I find out someone's Christian, I stop listening to them. It's like so the, I, don't, I have no. It's idea. like Bart and Lisa when they see the uh, or Bart and the other kids see the uh, the Bible trading cards. They're all excited. Then they find out they're from the Bible. Yep, exactly. Um, I had a big argument with a guy at work about it, and I just said, I'm not Christian, so why would I want to listen to something that was specifically Christian? In fact, I feel kind of annoyed that it's Christian because they didn't say that outright. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, it just kind of bothers you a little bit. Sometimes it's still good music, but, like, at the same time, I'm kind of like, nah, I don't want to be part of that group. Um, in, in October of 1949, she recorded the, the hit song Crazy He Calls Me, um, which would be inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2010. Um, really? Gabler, the head of uh, DECA, said it was their most successful recording um, for the label after um, Lover Man. Yeah, you know where you've heard that song before? Have you played Fallout 4? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she sings it in there. Dude, there are so many songs in Fallout 4. <laughs> like, it's the it's. I'll say I'll go through fire and I'll go through fire as he wants, and so it will be that one. It comes on like every other song. Crazy. I thought that was me. I. I. Uh, my God, uh, the Burning Ring of Fire. Like I thought that's what it was. That's that was uh, Johnny Cash. That's Johnny yeah, Cash, that's Johnny, bro. No, no, I know who that is. That's what I'm saying. Like that's what I thought was the song. That's not even his best song, man. No, of course not. His best song is the the one where he builds a car slowly over time, out of pieces that he steals. Essentially, I, I guess. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it's the That's... best song. Or the one on the right is on the left. You ever heard that no, song? I, I, I thought the... that Ring of Fire was what the uh, Fallout Four was using for their advertisements. No, I'm just I, I don't remember that. No, the Johnny Cash isn't in Fallout Four. It wouldn't be the right. It wouldn't be the right era. Yeah, wow. it's more like '30s, '40s, and, and '50s kind of music than it is Johnny mm-hmm. Cash. Well, they had the, the, ink, the ink spots. And they sang, uh, "I don't want to set the world on fire." Yeah, but I think that, but they were they were active until 1954, according to Google. So that's fits. Johnny Cash didn't start until like the '60s, I think. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying the song he's thinking of. Oh yeah, an advertisement. Oh, that's what it is. I don't want to set the world on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. I want to listen to Johnny Cash. Steve, can you hurry this up? <laughs> 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 oh man. Um, but 
what, what began happening was that despite um, Billie Holiday's popularity um, and, and her ability to pull in people to concert um, concert halls, um, her singles are, are not getting play on the radio. Um, and and that, that largely seems possibly due to her reputation. Sure. Back when that actually was not a selling point. No. Because <laughs> a big problem for her now is that because she can't perform in, in venues that serve alcohol um, and, and just sort of like pick up like club jobs, because you have to remember at this time, you know, nightclubs are a big gig um, for singers. Um, she her, her pay is like much reduced. Nightclubs yeah. were like the day to day thing. Yeah, and that was the thing. They it wasn't like like back then there was no Whitney Houston. Like even Ella Fitzgerald would do a club club act. You know what I mean? And she yeah. was huge, yeah. huge. Because so. that's sort of where like the the whole like Vegas thing, like the the resident, like having a residency at, at Vegas, it, it's sort of like a retirement plan because like those musicians yeah. would already be like playing every night at different venues. But for them, it's just sort of like this is your one venue you have to play at. Dude, mm-hmm. ve- getting a job. Uh, there's a great book. Um, it's it's analogy. I'll draw the cor- correlation. Is basically the same. But it was getting a job in Vegas or getting a job on a on like a boat, like a big show boat. Yeah, like becoming the resident, yeah. becoming yeah. like the resident uh, musician. And mm-hmm. I know about that from this book called the Mus- the Magician and the Card Sharp, which I highly recommend. About Di Vernon, who's the greatest sleight of hand artist of all time, um, and uh, it's. It's just amazing because I think at some point in his life he got t- to be like the resident magician on a cruise like liner, mm-hmm. and that's how he made like all his money. And it was a crazy amount of money. Like most other magicians were making nothing; they were making like fruits and nuts compared to what he was making. That's like um, Patton Oswalt's story about how, like, when he played Vegas for the first time and how he had been opposed to it and he thought it was like selling out. But it right. was like to him, it was like because he got so much money and the, the expectations were so low. Right. It was like he's like, why the hell did I do this from the start? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, made like, he made like ten thousand dollars or whatever, and then they wanted him to come back, and he barely performed because everybody was so like drunk. Oh my god, it's got to be the easiest gig if you're a comedian. You can just walk up there and be like, flabberbarble, flabberly. You know, you could sound like a Sims character. <laughs> and uh, and just well, freaking kill it, you know. People be like, well, they all, they all loved great. him because he was because um, he was on Everybody Loves Raymond. So yeah. it, it's all like older. Oh, that people, was later. So yeah, that was later in his career then. Huh. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. recently that he did it. It was like a couple years ago that he did. Pat Oswalt like, too, as uh, Steve and I's. I believe it's one of Steve's favorite bits, which is when he does that uh, comedian that uh, that's really like high. And he no, it was, a, it was out. a homeless person who walked yeah, up like to the stage and open mic. Yeah, he passes out <laughs> halfway through his set. I said, "You wouldn't give a cripple crab a crutch," <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> "He just falls asleep." He just like he drills well, he, It wasn't oh, just that he fell asleep. Bit. It was that he didn't like. He he went further off into the set. Like he nodded off. And, and, then, and then he yeah, came he'd back pick like, up. made another joke. <laughs> he'd pick up in the middle of another joke. So he was half as he was asleep doing part of the set. Oh, so good. Anyway, um, sorry. So before Holiday um, began performing, or before she had joined Decca, um, her her main revenue had been club concerts because she wasn't getting any royalties. Um, and the the problems for her also worsened um, because her records. Um, started going out of print in the 50s. 
Um, so because her records are going out of print, she's not receiving what little royalties um, she would have. Um, in, in 1958, um, her her royalty uh, check for the year was only $11. Oh, what? So it, her lawyer um, in the late 50s, um, Earl uh, Warren uh, Zidens, he had, he had registered um, with BMI only two songs she had written or co-written, um, which, which costed um, her uh, more revenue. Jeez, uh, man. In in 1948, out of out of desperation, um, she played at the Ebony Club, um, which was a, which was a nightclub. Um, her her Steve, manager. Before you talk about the Ebony Club, this whole time she's getting like shit on and shot down. Is she making efforts or strides legally to get out of it? Well, I I, I believe she is, but it's also one of those situations where like she can't. Hmm. Be, because there's no because like one thing you know she she's black and she has someone actively from the federal government who wants to like destroy her so so she's pretty much like there there's nothing she really can do. Mm. Um, so the the um her her manager um was, was convinced that she'd be able to get her card back um and, and allowed her to uh, perform without one. Um, and, and she would say of the experience, I opened scared. I was expecting the cops to come in any chorus and carry me off, but nothing happened. I was a huge success. Well, good for her. Um, but by the 19- get arrested off stage because that's got to be embarrassing. By by the 1950s, um, her her drug abuse and and drinking um, and um, relationships with abusive men had caused her um, health um, to decline. Oh, is that what that does to your health? You don't say. <laughs> how much of her abuse was uh i mean this i don't think you can actually answer this but i'll ask anyway how much of her abuse was uh you know self-inflicted or like has there been any like psycho psych, uh, psychoanalysis of her based on the fact that she was under kind of constant assault from the government and you know the world at large i mean she had to deal with racism and all that stuff or was well, it well like, a lot of uh, a, a lot of the men, a lot of the men that she married or was involved with, were, were like physically abusive. Oh my god! Jesus. So, so that's 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 when they say like abusive men. That's that's like that, that's what I'm saying is that like um, yeah, a lot of just, they, they're, they're a lot of scumbags. Hmm. That's terrible. Um, mm. she, she would appear on the ABC reality series The Comeback Story, where she discussed her attempts to overcome. Um, her misfortunes. Yeah, they had reality series back then. I was about then. to say, what the fuck? Come again? Are you what? just yeah. talking about like? Are, are you talking about like? You bet your life, like shit, like that, or? Yeah, where like they come on, and it's like now they're gonna tell you their life story. It's not like when I say a reality like, show, I don't mean like. I like like uh, Paul, ninety day fiance or whatever. Paul Senior, oh Paul God. Junior. First season life. to me. <laughs> first season of American Chopper was the only reality show. Everything else sucks. It was uh, I'm first... sorry, do you not remember the first season of The Real World? Bro. I didn't I didn't watch The Real World uh, I watched first season, but that was the one with that was the one that had Puck, right? I the think first season? I, think I don't think he was the in the first. I think he was second the third. Or third. Yeah, okay, second or third. Yeah, third. I didn't watch the first season. I watched the th- I watched the season. I started with the season with Puck. That was reality TV. That is the only reality TV show. I mean, it wasn't, though. Like, even at the time, people were making the joke. We gave a bunch of kids... We gave a bunch of kids a loft in New York City and let them live there for basically for nothing. Uh, What are you going to see the realest shit? Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's Here, not no responsibilities. Real. Just just make well, it's us like it's like content. that one show um, in, in Japan, Terrace House, is is like completely fabricated. Like they don't even live together. They just film different scenes, and like like everything is scripted. Like the wow. show got canceled because one of the participants, um, Hana Kimura, who is a who was a wrestler. I was gonna say um, that's a wrestler, isn't it? Yeah, because of her, um, be, because like she got so much abuse from people on on Twitter, um, essentially saying like being one being racist against her because she's half Indonesian, and oh and second just because of like they they made her like be very like gruff, and she like got mad at like one of the guys in an episode. And like, I don't think she smacked him, but she like pushed him or something. But it was it was just all done to just make her look like she was like it's like like just like a very angry like person. Not very was... demure, Steve. Yeah, and that's and and because of that, like she like, but yeah, she she recently um, due, due to due to her battles with like mental health issues over the years, she she took her own life. Oh, oh, what the fuck? Why would you? Well, if there's something out there, God, God rest her. That's mm. absolutely awful. I That's was really, awful. you were going to be like, yo, so, you know, after dealing with a lot of bullshit, she turned around one day and beat some dude's ass, got really popular, and she retired with a lot of money. Well, she probably nope. would have did that if she was American, but because that culture, you know, for all the good of Japanese culture, the, the bad side is just so dark. It's so bad. But yeah, it's, I, I think, I believe her mother is currently suing um, the, the TV so. network. Oh, so they um, did like the selective editing, like they do for like Survivor. Yeah, well, they they do yeah. that in all the shows. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, that's fucking ridiculous. Um, so as as time's going on, you know, uh, her the the problems she has are beginning to like take a toll on her on her voice, um, and and she's um, her voice is growing more coarse, um, and she no longer has um, any of the vibrancy she once had. Hmm. Um, in 1954, she would tour um, Europe as part of the uh, the Leonard Feather uh, package. <laughs> what? <laughs> the what? You know, it was like one of those bands, like the um, like Frank wanted them to make on "It's Always Sunny," like the Pecan Sandies. It's like it <laughs> the sounds. The Pecan Sandies. <laughs> it sounds... What band are you in? I'm in the Leonard Feathers package. It sounds. No, I couldn't it, do it. It sounds. Nah, it it sounds. It sounds like it's on the level, but it has strong sexual overtones. Oh my god! It's pecan Sandies. <laughs> I just watched Batman Returns yesterday, and I realized that Frank uh, Frank Reynolds is just basically Oswald Cobblepot. <laughs> Same fucking character, especially when he has like the relapse and he starts drinking and like spilling yeah. beer on himself. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Oswald Cobblepot. <laughs> Wait till you put the make the connection to Dick Cheney. Oh, okay, penguin. Siri. What? The Dick Cheney is the penguin. Nah. <laughs> just just go back and watch old like video clips of Dick Cheney talking and be like, oh my god. Yep. He's also um, the the original penguin from '66 is also Rocky's trainer, Mick. <laughs> Burgess Meredith. Yeah, yeah, it's Burgess Meredith. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. familiar. So, um, the the tour would start in Stockholm. Um, it would go all over um, Europe into the Netherlands, Paris, Switzerland, um, and Germany. Um, well, in Germany, we actually have a recording of a live set she did there of uh, uh, that was released as um, "Lady Love." Really? 
Yeah. Is it still available to find places? Yeah, I, I, I think it's on Spotify. Okay. By the way, Spotify, pick us up. <laughs> We're on Spotify. <laughs> no, I mean for like, uh, what do you call it, exclusivity deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we could do that. We just have to be all right. We, I'm sorry, we what? <laughs> <laughs> you just have to be like, you have to placate whatever political group is involved at any given time. That's it. That's no. what you're we have to, we have to, we have to be strongly uh, anti-union, and we also have to push a, a, an app they're launching in India. Oh, these guys are great, and they're selling the Bharata app, and I, I'll tell you... We we got to push the app, and we also got to push Hindu nationalism. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna say we've done a couple episodes that I think they'd be like, "No, nah, I'm not interested. <laughs> we're not interested in these clowns." You know, I thought that for a while, and I went back and listened to our episodes, and we're pretty clean overall. I mean, every once in a while we'll drop one, but we're like PG-13. Yeah, we haven't we haven't even gotten into our blue territory yet. I mean, if I want, if you want me to get blue, you just ask me. Bro, let's let's do it. Let's see. I will read the definition of hot ham and cheese right no, you, now. That's a that's a that's a Patreon unlock. Get kicked off Apple. Oh my god. They're not on Spotify either, if I remember correctly. Ugh. Um. During this time in the in the fifties in nineteen fifty six, um, Holiday's autobiography, uh, Lady Sings the Blues, is is released. Um, yep. It's ghostwritten by a friend, uh, William Dufty. Um, Dufty was um, he's a New York Post writer and editor, um, and who was married to Holiday's um, close friend, uh, Maley Dufty. Um, he he wrote the book uh, pretty quickly from a series of conversations he had with the singer um, at Dufty's apartment. Um, he would also draw on um, earlier interviewers, um, and it also intended to let Holiday tell her own story in her own way. Okay. Um, it, it's believed from a, a, a 2015 study found um, uh, called uh, "Billy Holiday: The Museum, uh, The Musician, and the Myth" um, by John uh, Seswid. Um, he argued that um, it is a generally accurate um, autobiography, um, but that um, her co-writer Dufty, um, the, he's he's generally he's credited as the co-writer, but he was the the ghostwriter. Um, mm-hmm. He was forced to water down or, or suppress um, some of the material uh, by threat of legal action. Really? Like uh, what kind of stuff do we know? Because. Um, uh, like, are you talking about like strange fruit and stuff? Well, well, no. Like, um, according to a reviewer of the book, Richard Brody, quote unquote, uh, Soswood traces the stories of two important relationships that are missing from the book with Charles Lofton in the 1930s and with Tallulah Bankhead in the 1940s. And of one relationship that sharply diminished in the book, her affair with Orson Welles around the time of Citizen Kane. Yeah, Orson Welles had a lot of charisma for a fat man. Well, in, in Citizen Kane, he wasn't really fat. Yeah, I'm about to say, Orson Welles was not, like, that fat. Well, for the, t- for the time. For the time. Yeah, it's like it's like Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> like, they say Fatty Arbuckle was fat, but, like... But he, he was, like, 5'10", not, not like, 180. He's, like, 180, like, oh, fat fuck. See, to me, like, fat is not what most people say is fat. To me, fat is, like, obese. And at one point in his life, he was definitely obese. Like, he was not in good shape. Right. Yeah, well, Fatty Fatty Arbuckle uh, 
was he, he generally believed that he weighed around 250 to 300 pounds. Yeah, and how tall was he? He was 5 foot 10. Yeah, that is a lot of weight to be carrying around at 510. I'm 5 I'm about 510 511 cuz you know but, all men add 1 inch to their height. So <laughs> I'm about 510 511 and I'm 223 right now and I'm like at the point where that's why I'm I'm calorie counting cuz I cannot go higher than this. And what's funny is like I'm not even rolling my eyes. This doesn't raise my eyebrows. Nothing. You tell me somebody's 510 300 pounds like Right. Okay. Uh, that but, is what I, but I, uh, but I have a too. very yeah, but I mean, like, I have a very jaded view of uh, the average um, person's figure, especially here in the United States, because I see these people day in and day out that I'm dealing with that are like five, ten, three hundred pounds. Yeah, you like, have the, but they you, swing it around like it's nothing. Dude. You're a stoic when it comes to uh, body size because you because it doesn't bother you. You've detached yourself from any implications there. That's good. More or less because it's normal to me. Like, yeah, that's good. It's, it's not like it's not out of the ordinary to see some you know, obese person. Like it's right, not right. It's not crazy like back in the twenties or thirties, like with Fatty Arbuckle, it would have been crazy to see some fat guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And I think if you go back to the old circuses, like the traveling circuses where they would have the freak shows, you would have like the fat man realistically he's not like huge and fat yeah they were he's, never actually fat no. it was just like it's some like guy by our was, standards it's like a guy who was just big by our just standards a big, have, like, some yeah big like guy. a big dude or a big woman and it was like you know they're they're not fat but they're no. i mean they're not fat that's not what i consider fat you know but I mean? if you compare it to the average person size-wise stature height weight in the 20s the 30s hell yeah, yeah that's a fucking giant yeah especially with the availability of snack food cornflakes <laughs> yeah, the way to start your day is so you don't masturbate in the shower if all, if all I could get was three squares I would not be overweight <laughs> yeah in a world without high fructose corn syrup exactly <laughs> uh, yeah we actually didn't have a corn syrup plus we, uh, we were fresh out I could lose some weight if it was like October 1929 or so everybody was fucking starving in the depression um, so when the autobiography comes out as well, um, she released um, an LP, Lady Sings the Blues, um, which you can also find on, on Spotify, I believe, which is sort okay. of like a, a compilation album of songs throughout her career. Okay. Um, it also featured um, four new tracks on it um, that were released just for the um, just for the uh, the album, Lady Sings the Blues, Too Marvelous for Words, Willow Weep for Me, and I Thought About You. Are those considered her, like, most famous tracks? Uh, no, those are the new ones. They're um, deep tracks. And new tracks. New yeah, tracks. the new okay. tracks. Deep. Deep. I thought, wait, I thought she had sang Lady Sings the Blues already. She didn't sing that on, like, her, her Europe tour? Or am I just losing No, it was, the, the album was called Lady Love. Uh, okay, okay, alright. Yeah, I don't think there's a song called Lady Sings the Blues, is there? Yeah, there is. It, it was oh, recorded okay. for the, the yeah. album. I was getting confused for a second there. For I the LP? There was Come on, at first. keep up, Steve. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, I'm on my third <laughs> beer. I'm drinking a Guinness now. I opened it and I got really fucking scared, but it was just the nitrogen ball. I mean, I'm sorry, the rat bones. <laughs> just raising the spirit of the dead rat out. Thank you. Um, on November 10th, 1956, um, Holiday would perform uh, two concerts at Carnegie Hall again um, that were packed. Um, 
the the second uh, a live recording of the second um carnegie hall concert um was released on an album um in the uk um in late 1961 called the essential billy holiday so 1956 we're getting pretty far down now so is anslinger still like poking her uh yeah he's he's still got his eye on her anslinger was she still experiencing any like subjective effect to that or stress well yes yeah, stress probably, absolutely probably, probably i mean stress. to be a black person in the 50s was to be stressed but <laughs> i mean for god's sakes it was fucking awful but like okay. at the same time fair. at the fair. same time fair. i was like, kind of using that as a baseline like your average <laughs> your average black person being is like already on an elevated level so you, but, like, exactly stress yeah probably would drove it over the edge oh my god terrible um uh so uh on that on that album, um, some of her uh, liner notes were written by um, Gilbert Milstein of the, the New York Times, um, who was also the narrator of her of her Carnegie um, Hall concerts, who would say out like different um, different passages from her autobiography. Hmm. Um, and he said the narration began with the ironic account of her birth in Baltimore. Uh, Mom and Pop were just a couple of kids when they got married. He was 18, she was 16, and I was three. Um, and ended very nearly shyly um, with her hope for love and a life, a long life with my man at her side. Hmm. Um, he would also say, it was evident even then that Miss Holiday was ill. I had known her casually over the years and I was shocked at her physical weakness. Her rehearsal had been uh, desultory. Her voice sounded tinny and trailed off. Her body sagged tiredly. Um, but I will not forget the metamorphosis that night. The lights went down, the musicians began to play, and the narration began. Miss Holiday stepped from between the curtains into the white spotlight awaiting her, wearing a white evening gown and white gardenias in her black hair. She was erect and beautiful, poised and smiling, and when the first section of narration was ended, she sang, with strength undiminished, and with all of the art that was hers. I was very much moved. In the darkness, my face burned in my eyes. I recall only one thing. I smiled. I wow. would kill for a recording, a good quality recording of these performances that she did. Not there might like be towards one. the end of her career in the 50s, but like towards the beginning of her career. Like there, in there's the 30s. Definitely, there might be one. I mean, we have old, we have extant recordings of them. There's a lot of it on YouTube. There's, yeah, but I don't want like garbage quality like i'm saying i would sure to have like fucking like quality. he wants lossless yeah he wants lossless he wants og vorbis recordings uh, yeah i would kill for that for for specifically for billy holiday yep um the the critic um nate hentoff of of downbeat magazine um who's at the carnegie hall concert um wrote would write the remainder of the sleeve notes for that 1961 album um, he wrote of, of Holiday's performance, uh, Throughout the night, Billy was in superior form to what had sometimes been the case in the last years of her life. Because um, remember, this album will come out um, two years after she dies. Cause she dies in 1959, which is coming up. Hmm. Um, not only was there assurance of phrasing and intonation, but there was also an outgoing warmth, a palpable eagerness to reach and touch the audience, and there was mocking wit. A smile was often lightly evident, evident on her lips and her eyes as if for once she could accept the fact that there were people who did dig her 
The beat flowed in her uniquely uh, sinuous, supple way of moving. The story along, the words became her own experiences. And coursing through it all was Lady's sound. A texture simultaneously steel-edged yet soft inside. A voice that was almost unbearably wise and disillusioned, and yet still childlike, again at the center. The audience also uh, the audience was hers from before she sang, greeting her and saying goodbye with heavy, loving applause. And at one time, the musicians, too, applauded. It was a night when Billy was on top, undeniably the best and most honest jazz singer alive. Aww. Damn, imagine uh, being there for that. Um, I know. I mean, it's just... Uh, just I can't even I can't even put it like there's so there's a great if you're interested in that kind of stuff like documentary evidence of like those those types of musicians um, my favorite pianist is Thelonious Monk it's like the Mm -hmm. basically one of the originators of bebop but he was just a he was autistic and he was definitely I'm sorry he was believed to be autistic but it's pretty obvious um, from his symptomology and Mm -hmm. um there's a documentary about him that was recorded over the period of a few years called Straight No Chaser. Mm-hmm. And if you don't cry watching it, you're not human. Like, it's it's super ridiculous. Like, it's it's really good. I would, oh, listen, I, I cried during What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I promise you see, I would be fucking I was going to watch words. that yesterday because <laughs> I've never seen it, so I'm glad I didn't watch it. Because I'll do what's the same that, thing. What's eating Gilbert Grape? Yeah, I've never seen it. My, my wife thought wanted to watch it. Because I, I had mentioned it, I think. And I, you know, I was like, nah, I'm good. So apparently, because I don't remember it. Let me just preface it with we this. We watched was, Batman man, Returns I, instead, so. Well, so I was really <laughs> drunk. And I do remember, like, at one point, like, crying. But I was, like, real drunk. And I don't remember why. Oh, I don't like t- so don't, don't the movie. All right. Well, I'm, I'll let you know. <laughs> I won't be drunk watching it, so I'll let you know. Or I might be. I don't know. I was. All I remember from that is the fact that the uh, that the mom is like massively overweight, and she dies at the end of the film. Sorry, spoilers. Um, so, but because they can't get her out of the house, they just like burn down the house. Okay, that was a huge spoiler, by the way. I'll keep that to myself. But okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sorry I spoiled that film that came out like 30 years ago, Steve. Yeah, but you didn't have to, you know what I mean? Like, you didn't have to. It's not like I was on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my god. It was Leonardo DiCaprio's in that, right? Yeah, he's a literal child. He's a child. He's in that, I think, Johnny Depp's in that, right? Yeah, Johnny Depp's in it too, yeah. It's like one of his like first big roles. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. It Um, is a good movie, though. Yeah, it it is a decent movie. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely watch it then. It's it's not like um, Sia's movie, um, music, mm-hmm. that like the one that like just came out that is like uh, apparently like very like awful and how it depicts people with like um, mental illness. Oh no. Yeah, it's it's real bad. Oh no. Um, so it on on CBS's Sound of Jazz program, um. She would um, she would perform with her with her longtime friend Lester Young, um, the song uh, "Fine and Mellow." Um, oh, Lester Young would die in March of 1959, not long after this, um, and she had wanted to sing at his funeral, but she was denied that request. What? Because remember, Lester Young is uh, Prez. Um. So why was she denied the request, though? Um, I, I think it was just due to her. Um, Due to her closeness with uh, with him, Uh-oh. that the that the wife didn't want it. 
So, oh, okay. Oh, I got it. Okay. It's dumb as shit, but okay. I get it. Let me just... Hmm? No, I was I was just reading real quick because I didn't look, look into it. Yeah, no problem. I'll cut it out. <laughs> cut it out? Cut out Dave Coulier this whole fucking section. <laughs> I will Dave Coulier the rest of this goddamn podcast. Don't even play with me. I, I can beat Uncle Jesse. I swear it, to God, if I don't remember... Well, if I Uncle Jesse did, I'd, I'd just take this part of the show and I'd put it to some it cheesy out. 90s guitar rock. <laughs> You know, or, oh, yeah, uh, Jesse, or an Oikos commercial. Stamos, that's right. Yeah, Uncle yeah. Jesse was Jesse and the Rippers, bro. Yeah, you mean um, Uncle Jesse? What was the name of the other uncle? The comedian. What was his, what was his name? Danny. I think Not it was Danny. Danny was dad. Danny Tanner was the dad. That was Bob, that was Bob Saget. Who was Dave Coulier's Joey. name? Joey. That's what it was, Joey. Joey. Yeah. yeah. Cut it out. It's like, it's it just a thing where uh, someone plays a stand-up comedian in a TV show, but they're terrible because they're not actually, like, a stand-up comedian, or they're incapable of, like, using their stand-up comedian humor, like... Um, in real life. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, um, it doesn't say exactly why she was denied um, the to just perform at his funeral, um, I, I think it might have been just that as as well. Like they didn't want um, they didn't want her to like take the spotlight or something. Okay. I, I, I'm sure there's a legitimate reason, but she did attend the funeral, um, and she said um, upon leaving it because she she rode with uh, Leonard Feather, um, the jazz critic of of the the that she went on the Leonard tour with Feather's package. <laughs> yeah, um, she she rode with him to the funeral, um, and she said after the service, I'll be the next to go. Oh, um, no. so she had an inkling, maybe. Possibly, because they they had come up some together. No, some people know, and this is something I fully believe. After being in uh, working in emergency services for ten years now, almost ten years, mm-hmm. some people know, man. Some people fucking know, and it's just a, I don't know why. Some people, I don't know, man. Dogs know too. They, it's uh, very strange. It depends on the uh, type of death, but dogs can smell necrotic tissue. So if mm-hmm. you have advanced cancer and you're dying from it, dogs actually act completely differently around you. Mm. Um, That's horrific to think when about. It's sad. Not we're gonna get sadder here, but uh, when my oh, Jesus my dog died at the beginning of COVID, and she was really ill um, for a couple months. There, she was really like going downhill. We didn't know what was going on. And um, the neighbor's dog would always see her and just, like, sniff her for a while. And, like, I think, like, a week before she went, we had brought her over to see the neighbor's dog to think maybe, you know, we didn't know she was going to die, by the way. We just knew she wasn't doing well. So we brought her over there, and the neighbor's dog just, like, kind of turned and and walked away from her. Like, didn't even go near her. Oh, He sniffed in her direction and, like, walked away. And I, I stuck in my head. Stuck in my head. It's, it's so interesting. I thought you were gonna end with you know like oh he he like sniffed my dog and realized my dog was really sick and kind of like cuddled the whole time. Like, no, dude. No, they walked away. He was like it was like he had it was like her smell had changed so much that he he didn't want to be around it. But it was like he knew something was wrong, sorta. You know. Well, he's also like it's a really quasi wild dog. Yeah, he's yeah, an outside a, dog. Yeah, he's an outside dog. Yeah, he's a he's a farm he's a farm dog. dog. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, let's keep going. That's super fucking sad. Let's keep going quick. <laughs> yeah. um, Ho- Holiday would go back to um, to tour in Europe one last time, um, and she made a, a television appearance um, in the UK. This is fifty eight um, or fifty nine? This is in fifty nine. Okay. Um, at, at Granada's um, Chelsea at nine in London. At Camp um, Granada? No, the <laughs> Granada's Chelsea. Hello, Mara. Hello, Slada. Here I am at. Camp Granada. <laughs> she she would record her final studio album with MGM Records in 1959, um, and uh, those sessions would be released um, after her passing um, on a on a self titled um, album um, later that was um, retitled and re released as um, titled The Last Recording. Um, at, at the time, her, her, her last husband that she had been married to, um, was a, um, was a mob enforcer, um, named Louis McKay, who she had married in 1957. What? Um, okay. McKay was, was abusive, um, at, at the time of her, um, at the time of her death, they were separated. Um, but McKay had been planning, um, to open up a chain of, um, Billie Holiday, um, vocal studios, um, on the model of um, Arthur Murray Dance Schools. Hmm. Um, she was. Um, she never had any children, um, but she. Um, but she had two godchildren. Um, the singer um, Billy Lorraine Feather, um, who was the daughter of, of Leonard Feather, um, and Bevan Dufty, um, the son of uh, William Dufty. Is she named for Billy Holiday? Hmm. Billy Lorraine Feather. That's going to be her goddaughter. But possibly. Is she, is she named for Billy Holiday? It's possible. I, I don't think Billy is a common name for a woman. Is all I'm saying. For women, I mean, I think it actually is. Really? Yeah, it's existed for a long time. I'm not saying it hasn't existed. It's like not. It's totally crazy. I'm just saying it's not common. Uh... And for it to be your goddaughter, I feel like was. I feel like she was named after her, right? Maybe? Possibly? There's Billie Jean King. There's Billie Jean is not my lover. Uh. <laughs> yeah, she was... She was... Um, she, she was... Um, <laughs> she was... Um, she was named after Billie Holiday. Um, her full name is Billie Jane Lee Lorraine Feather. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, so she was named after Billie Holiday, Billie Jean. <laughs> Jeannie Bill is not my Jean Bills. <laughs> um, so in in early 1959, um, Billie Holiday was diagnosed with psoriasis. Not surprising. Um, so she she stops drinking um, due to her um, doctor's orders. Um, but not long after that, she relapses and starts drinking again. Um, in May of 1959, she had lost um, about 20 pounds. That's not good. Um, um, her her manager, Joe Glazer... There are, two, there are two things that you should always keep accounted for in your life. One is if you get cut... Ryan, you can back me up here. One is okay. if you get cut and you start bleeding, but you don't stop bleeding. 
Like you bandage it, and the bandage fills up with blood, and it never clots. Because that can mean cancer, it can mean infection, it can mean a whole bunch of things. And then it could no, mean you just cut an artery. Well, I mean, I think if you cut an artery, <laughs> you, that might be a little bit of a different bleeding. <laughs> uh, but no, they say like if you even if you get a small cut and it doesn't stop bleeding, usually you want to go to the doctor and get that checked out like right away. Not that it's bleeding profusely, but that it just keeps it never fully clots. And then mm-hmm. the other one is uh, if you lose weight and you're not trying to, fucking go to the doctor. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. There's definitely an issue if all of a sudden you just realize you're not doing keto, you're not exercising, you're still right. laying around like a fat fuck eating Doritos on your couch watching YouTube videos that you're all of a sudden just dropping weight without ah, even trying. I can't keep the you weight on. I, shit check. I must be doing something right. Now you're dying. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you are dying, brother. <laughs> Yeah, like, no, that's really bad. My grandfather Oncology used to say... Oncology is the next place you're going, bro. <laughs> my, gra- my, my grandfather used to say, and, and no, f- before you ask, my my grandfather was not uh, 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 the catcher for the New York Yankees. Uh, <laughs> he said, if you don't eat, you'll die. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> Yogi Berra, man. All right, anyway... Um, so she lost twenty so, pounds. So she she lost twenty pounds. Her her friends um, are trying, and her friends and her manager are trying to get her to go to the hospital. Um, on May thirty first, nineteen fifty nine, um, she's taken to the Metropolitan Hospital in New York um, for the treatment taken. of. So did yeah. she choose to go, or do you not know? Well, I think I think it was that she was in such a state that she had to be taken to the hospital. Okay, so she um, was she was forced into it. Okay, so. Yeah. It, and she was given treatment for liver disease and heart disease. Um, so as as she's in the hospital, because um, Anslinger's had had essentially had men watching her. Like he, he generally has around a couple agents who, whose job is to like sort of like keep keep tabs on Billy Holiday. Um, they come to the hospital where they handcuff her um, to the hospital bed and arrest her for drug possession. What? What? On her. Is this her so as, bed? as she's as she's lying there um, dying, um, her hospital room is raided, um, and she's placed under um, police guard. Oh. Man, fuck that jolly piece of shit! Are you kidding me? Dude? On, on, oh Jul- God, on July fifteenth, she would receive her last rites from the Roman Catholic Church, um, and she died um, on July seventeenth at three ten a.m. of a uh, of pulmonary edema and heart failure caused by psoriasis. Cirrhosis. Oh, like psoriasis? You mean cirrhosis? Cirrhosis? Okay, cirrhosis. Okay. Wait, so. Oh, wait. So when you said she had psoriasis, you meant cirrhosis. Yeah, I meant cirrhosis. Okay, okay. No, that's okay. Now, he said cirrhosis at first, but just now he had said psoriasis. No, he Wait, said he skin condition. He said too? no. He said psoriasis before too, and I was like, yeah, bro, really? Psoriasis. I was like, that's Did terrible. You? But I don't think oh, you can. I, think said I don't think you can die unless somehow you get an itch on your liver and you can't get in there to get it. <laughs> also, pulmonary edema is a really bad way to go. That's yeah, shitty. That's just the swelling of your arteries, right? No, that's that's uh, water in your lungs. Oh, is it? Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna Oof. go feeling like you're drowning. That's really shitty. Jesus um, Christ! And, so, and under arrest, for God's sakes, fucking leave her alone. She's dying. Yeah. Scumbag. Fuck. See, these are in the days before, like, current medical treatment that we have now, where if someone is having pulmonary edema and heart failure, we have things like CPAP that will force 
uh, all that water and that, those <clears throat> those liquids out of your lungs. It, unfortunately, in the 70s, they didn't have this. So the entire time she would have been sitting in bed, she would have been literally just gurgling as she as she took a breath. You would just hear gurgles, and that is horrific to think about that somebody could actually put handcuffs on that person. Huh. That is disgusting. That's is fucking terrible. Um, she died at the age of 44. Um because she had been um, so, uh, she had been um, swindled out of her earnings um, for so long. Um, by the time of her death, she only had seventy cents in her bank account. Jesus Christ! I have nothing to say. Um, well, her, at least we know that that mob boss was marrying for love. I guess her her funeral was well, actually, because um, she her funeral was held. Um, on July 21st, 1959, at the Church of St. Paul the Apostle in Manhattan, and she was buried in St. Raymond Cemetery in the Bronx. Um, her, her burial plot, though, um, was managed, um, ha- had been managed by her estranged husband, um, uh, Louis McKay, um, a- after she died. Well, obviously mm-hmm. after she died, but, but for, for years after she had died. Mm-hmm. Who was also an abusive prick, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Gilbert Milstein, who was the, um, who's at the New York Times and who was the announcer at her 1956, um, Carnegie, um, Hall concerts, um, wrote this, um, uh, about her death, um, on, on that 1961 album, uh, Sleeve. Billie Holiday died in Metropolitan Hospital, um, New York on Friday, July 17th, 1959, in the bed in which she had been arrested for illegal possession of narcotics a little more than a month before, as she lay mortally ill. Um, In the room from which a police guard had been removed by court order only a few hours before her death, which, like her life, was disorderly and pitiful. She had been strikingly beautiful, but she was wasted physically to a small, grotesque caricature of herself. The worms of every kind of excess, drugs were only one, had eaten her. The likelihood exists that among the last thoughts of this cynical, sentimental, profane, generous, and greatly talented woman of 44 was the belief that she was to be arraigned the following morning. She would have been eventually, although possibly not that quickly. In any case, she removed herself finally from the jurisdiction of any court here below. I like to think that if there is some type of an afterlife, she floated above her body and just kind of just gave everybody the finger. Like, go fuck yourselves. You're not going to get me in front of a judge. I'm going to – I agree with your sentiment. I'm going to think that – I'm going to say this. My idea of the afterlife is that I no longer have to give the finger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, I'm petty though. Yeah. (laughs) You're not petty. You're not petty, but if you think about it, you're thinking about it with like a living person's emotions, and that's not petty to, to think that, you know, because she she had every right to give him the finger. I mean, they fucking arrested her on her deathbed, and she was abused yeah. her entire fucking life, and she was yeah. really only, you know, maybe she was yeah. a bit of a diva, but she didn't. Nobody deserves the life that she had at all. She certainly no. didn't, and so she, she, the least she could do is give him the finger, but. Whoever gives uh, my eulogy, I just, overall, I don't want it to lie. Don't tell people that I lit up a room. Don't tell people I right. had friends wherever I went. Tell me I had three friends and I was a smartass. He like, was on the Trilateral don't... Troika podcast, which was good, but it never really got off the ground. Now, <laughs> it got about 50 listeners. Uh, he was the most mediocre, average white dude ever. Like, <laughs> don't lie at my funeral. That's all I want. Just don't lie. <laughs> 
I hope my my uh, my epitaph says that he was the most mediocre average point dude ever. <laughs> my current average. goal for legacy, because no one has a goal for legacy, and then we'll go back to Billy Holiday. Is I want to have like ten thousand poems written when I die. I've written I've written over two hundred and fifty. Jesus Christ! And I I want to have ten thousand when I die. And I then, write, to, to fully cement day. your legacy, they make them into a game, like Carafuda. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, oh, Carta. So, you, you just combine Carta and Hanafuda. Let's do that, though. <laughs> am I having a stroke right now? Uh, we're talking about Japanese games, okay? Ah, okay. Never this is a January-February yeah. conversation, so you can march your way out of it. Yeah, got him! Got him! <laughs> 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 Damn. <laughs> this is yeah. a uh, June, July conversation. So you can August, September, October, January, <laughs> November your way out of it. <laughs> January doesn't Listen. come before November. It'll feel like it by the time you could talk to me again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, one of my friends told me that one time. <sighs> anyway, there are. Let's um, make like a tree and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, Nit. What we were talking about earlier is there's a there's a Japanese card game that uses um, poetry. Yeah, card. And, and, and Nintendo actually still makes these cards. So Car- I was looking up. I was looking car- up a deck on Amazon, and it was a Nintendo deck. They make oh, okay. they make Karada cards. Yeah, their their original um their original, their original game was. Their original game was Hanafuda, though, not Karada. Well, they was they it? make all cards, playing cards like of, of all kinds. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. They even make hot ham and cheese cards. Well, I mean, so first of all, uh, <laughs> hey, you're right. 1890 advertisement by Nintendo. Carta. Wow. Oh, you yeah, know, Nintendo's been around forever. Car- I know that, but like, Carta is uh, Iroha Carta, which is, uh, it's like a poem game. There's a good, um, there's a good anime called Chihaya Furu, which is about it, and uh, it's fucking intense, dude. Like, if you go on YouTube, and you look up K A R U T A, um, and you look it up. Like it is, it's crazy. These people listening for like the edge of words to be uttered, and then it's memorizing it's a which card anime. is. Yeah, and then you have like, to memorize like which card is where in front of you out of all these forty cards, and you have to knock it to the side physically. What, dude? It's it is intense, man. Intense ridiculous like camping it's intense (laughs) (laughs) oh man so Um, so billy holiday died and yeah when when she died the new york times published um a a short obituary on um page 15 of the paper um Hmm. that didn't have a byline um she left an estate of a thousand dollars um and most of her recordings um from the 30s were were out of print at that time so she had um, seven well, cents in the bank, but a thousand dollar state. Yeah, in terms of her um, things that she like her her copyrighted material. That's super unfortunate. Like, um, just to put that in perspective, that's like twenty years outside of when she made it. Twenty nine years, so thirty years, and they don't like they stop printing it. Because, but to put it in perspective, they still make Creed. Well, it's, Creed it's, is still being <laughs> like, what the fuck? Well, it's, well, it's one of those things, too, where, like, 
you can have like like an estate it's just sort of like the value of your assets like yeah like just because you have a house doesn't mean that you have like that is liquid capital no no i'm talking about her best recordings were out of print you said yeah from the because they were from the 30s and they yeah, were all so other I'm saying, labels. they still creed is still in print right now and they were from well, like, the 2000s. well it's, yeah, it's because of have... how the music industry worked back then too because remember they're from different labels and it you everything's on um have to be pressed onto records so they have limited runs um, yeah some guy named hesh i believe picked up her uh rights and yeah. sold a lot of <laughs> records and then massive genius tried to <laughs> i mean what's crazy back then is like you think about she's a she's probably a multi-million dollar uh recording artist when you consider her uh, effect on music um and then her death at a young age going all throughout the 1900s so i would love to know like what ended up with her her rights well, well what happened no children well while they had been out of print um in in 1961 um they they begin columbia reissues fucking nearly, columbia of nearly course. 100 of her early <laughs> records because she, she begins columbia. to become um she she becomes more popular after she dies I forgive um, Columbia House because they sent me those 10 CDs in 1991 and I never fucking paid anything for them. <laughs> they gave you the little stamps to put on the thing? Yeah, I got the all... Ten, the 10 stamps that you want? Dude, I got all the Jerky Boys albums. For free. Get, for free. I want to say I got, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers, like, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and I think California nice. as well. Nice. And you just sent that thing in the mail and then all of a sudden you got a yeah. big box of CDs. And they My were mom like, was like, where'd you get those CDs from? Uh, the stickers? Uh, free? Sam Goody. <laughs> No, you she didn't. Like, what? No, you didn't. They were forty-five dollars a CD back then. <laughs> oh my god! I was I was looking. I, I actually was looking at Karuda cards, and they have the like the official competitive like like the Karu- like the official competitive like Karuda cards, and they cost like a, a deck of them is like one hundred and sixty-two dollars. Karuda, like the competitive Karuda cards are yeah, like the official competitive like. Wow. I, I mean, Hanafuda is a, a fantastic game. Um, you have to learn the flowers that are on each card um, in order to play it. It's a symbolic game more than it is a, like a hand it's, game. Yeah, it's a matching game. If you it, um, if you play Yakuza, you can play it in it. Yeah. Uh, you uh, can I play I, The first time I played Hanafuda was actually on Clubhouse Games on the DS. And then... Uh, I bought a deck. I have two decks, actually. I have, I have an official Nintendo one, and then I have uh, a Hawaiian one. But they're... Uh, yeah, it's a, really, it's a really fun game. Um, okay. So, um, Holiday is eventually um, posthumously nominated for 23 Grammys um, after she dies. God damn. Um, in 1964, um, Anslinger would, would write a book called The Protectors, um, and he included um, a chapter in it called Jazz and Junk Don't Mix, uh, which was about um, Billie Holiday and Charlie Parker, um, the guy who I mentioned earlier. Um, it, he, he had come up previously. Um, he also died due to years of, of heroin and alcohol abuse. Wow. Um, and this is this is what um, Anslinger said. Jazz and Atenas are neither fish nor fowl. They do not get the million-dollar protection Hollywood and Broadway can afford for their stars who have become addicted. And there, are, and there are many more than will ever be revealed. 
Perhaps this is because jazz, once considered a decadent kind of music, has only token respectability. Jazz grew up next door to crime, so to speak. Clubs of dubious reputation were for a long time the only places where it could be heard. But the times bring changes, and as Billie Holiday was a victim of time and change, so too was Charlie Parker, a musician whose music, like Billie's, is still widely imitated. Most musicians credit Parker, among others, as spearheading what is called modern jazz. This guy is just a fucking <laughs> huge piece of shit. Just when you think rock bottom exists for him, it just opens up and he just continues to plummet down. Like, did he just... He's such a fucking piece of... Did he just have fucking hemorrhoids? Like, did he have hemorrhoids? Because, like, here's how I look at this, right? I think that if we find out that in the past you were an exceptional racist and you were in any position of power, that in 2021, I realize this is problematic, but all of your policies should be revoked and 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 reviewed. All of them. Everything. I I can get behind that, but the problem is that that would be the end of, like, government. It would just be a stalemate reviewing (laughs) every little thing. That's what I'm getting at. (laughs) We would be reviewing policies forever, because we'd have to throw out, like, hundreds of politicians. It's absolutely ridiculous. No, I'm down with throwing out politicians. Me too, absolutely. Please, let's get down. Like, I'm I'm there with you there. Let's do it. (laughs) First one to go is going to be Hawley. Get him the fuck out of there. But anyway. No, no, no. No, I want to get rid of him Mitch. easy because he's a pimple. Mitch. Oh, yeah, Mitch is bad. Mitch has to go. Mitch is bad. Turtle, turtly fuck. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, Billy Holiday would be alive <laughs> if it wasn't for the Democrats. Uh. Mitch McConnell is old enough to have listened to Billy Holiday and then also have spit at her and called her a Negro because she's etc etc well i got news for you ryan he visited her grave and did that no i'm just kidding Uh, (laughs) oh my god so uh posthumously um billy holiday was inducted into the grammy hall of fame um the erdogan jazz hall of fame uh the rock and roll hall of fame and the ascap jazz wall of fame yep Um, in 1985 a a statue of billy holiday was erected in baltimore um the um the, the statue was completed in 1993 with additional panels showing images um, inspired by her song Strange Fruit. Really? Okay. Um, and, in, and in 2019, um, it was announced that um, New York City would build a statue honoring Billie Holiday um, near the Queensborough Hall. Um, on June 25th, 2019, uh, the New York Times Magazine um, listed Billie Holiday as among hundreds of artists whose material was um, reportedly destroyed in the 2008 um, Universal Studios fire. Because remember that was a big uh, a big fire of like the film yeah. storage, where like they yeah. improperly kept it in old film. If you've seen mm-hmm. Inglorious Bastards, you know it. Goes I still fast. have to see it. I haven't seen it yet. Wait, you've never seen Inglorious Bastards? No, I have. Steve's not a movie I have, guy. I have severe ADHD, oh. so it's it's difficult for me to sit through something that I'm not already sold on. So the only way to get me to watch a movie is to turn it on and have me sit and like I'll just incidentally sit down and then I'll watch it. Oh So like man. I have to really want to see something to sit down and watch a movie. Um So as for Anslinger, um later on in his career he begins to be uh, scrutinized for for insubordination after he refuses to desist um from attempting to stall um the ABA AMA 
um, joint report on narcotic addiction, um, which was edited by um, the sociology professor Alfred R. Um, Winsmith at, of Indiana University. Um, Winsmith had previously wrote um, a, a work called Opiate Addiction in 1947, um, The Addict and the Law in 1965, and a number of other articles that condemned the, the war on drugs. Um, and, and many of his um, and, and many of his criticisms of the war on drugs um, specifically condemned um, Anslinger's role in it. Um, in, in 1961, to his surprise, um, Anslinger was reappointed by President John F. Kennedy. Um, Anslinger had expected to be replaced <laughs> because of how old he was. Era, uh, uh, he's a good old boy. Uh, racist era. Bring him in, era. And that he was, um, <laughs> and he was almost seventy, which was the mandatory age of retirement um, for people in his position, which should exist in every form of government. Uh, let's drop that down to sixty-five. <laughs> if you can, if you can pull, so listen. If you can pull Social Security, that's when you should retire. Okay, I can um, see that, but I I know seventy-year-olds now. I mean, the, first of all, the the death. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, mortality rate is much. higher. Like the age of what the fuck am I trying to say here? Uh, I have no idea. Like how old you you can grow to be as a man or a woman is much higher than it used to be in I would say in the fifties. You mean like you the life expectancy? Life expectancy. Thank you. Hey. hey. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a trend that just kind of goes up over time. Although I believe we plateaued. I, a seventy-year-old is probably still presence of mind enough but once you hit 70 i i feel like i've most of the time you know not for nothing i've met a few 90 year olds recently sharp as a tech plus that are sharp my and like dude my mother and it's terrifying my mother was like 73 and she is you would never know it ever some people yeah, i didn't think i, I didn't think man. she was that old yeah see exactly look at that there's someone who knows her You'd never know that. She's out there cutting trees down and shit, driving around. It's like, you know, you never know she's that old. So you can't really cut it off at 70. You could just say that at 70, that the time has moved on enough and that most of the population's younger, but uh, um, that's only true it, in the U.S. Right? It, it, yeah. Um, Anslinger's um, wife had died the previous year. Um, she, she had died a particularly slow and agonizing death from heart failure. Um, and, <sighs> and, um, that's terrible for her, but I'm glad that he had longer to suffer her uh, suffering, if that makes sense. So on, on his 70th birthday, May 20th, 1962, um, Anslinger submitted his resignation to Kennedy. Um, but since Kennedy didn't have a successor in place, um, Anslinger stayed on um, at his um, at, on his position um, until later that year. Wow. Wait, wait a minute. How long? Um, I I don't. It didn't say when he was replaced, but he was succeeded by Henry um, Giordano. Ah, but yeah, there you go. Year. Giordano Paisano. Also, so no, maybe a few months. We'll say six months, right? He was in August, um, so August seventeenth, nineteen sixty-two. Wow. When did um, he fucking die, Steve? That's what I want to know. Pay it out. I want the money yes. shot. When is he fucking dead? Um, I'm almost there. 
it, and after that, he would be the um, the United States representative to the United Nations Narcotics Commission for two years. Oh uh, my what? God! And then God, he would retire what? from that. Um, but by um, by let's send our dumbest agent of narcotics. Let's send him. Where's um, the weed? <laughs> Pass the sniff. Listen, that's the problem. He was considered like the preeminent expert on narcotics. I know, that's which a, is a fucking no, huge no, problem. I, absolutely, that's what I'm saying. Like he's, he was, he was given like some kind of, uh, you know, position of prominence, but he was actually a shitbird. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know what the fuck he was talking. Anyway, g- g- come on, um, Steve, give me the goods. Well, by by 1973, um, he had gone completely blind. Um, he okay, he good. suffered from a debilitating um, enlarged prostate gland. Oh, good. Um, it was also <laughs> nice. suffered from um, angina. All right, nice. Um, on so on November fourteenth, nineteen seventy-five, Anslinger would die at one p.m. due to heart failure um, at uh, Mercy Hospital in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Wow. Uh, he I was hope with his soul and prostate, he had to pee so bad it was never able to. Fuck him. Well, fuck this dude. I can't really get in on that. Well, what? I can't really get in on that because prostate problems run in my family. Uh, but by yeah, the your family's not grotesque hate monger. That's true. But, that but by the end of his true. life as well, um, he had to be subscri- um, prescribed um, slow max powerful opiates. <laughs> Jesus Christ! So so at the end of his life, he he was forced to take like the the drugs that he like saw. Oh to, no! Like, destroy people. So, over. so he pulled. So so he pulled a fucking Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, yeah he, exactly. He, did, he went out like Rush. What is with these fucking assholes? If Rush Limbaugh was judged by his actions and not his uh, not his allegiances, his, his crippling his Oof. crippling addiction to painkillers and he, Viagra. He's essentially <laughs> a, a bloated. I don't know about that. I've never heard that before. But he's essentially a bloated drug addict who can't be trusted because of his addiction to say anything of that has a truth value. Like he, well, he, well, he was busted with uh, like Viagra on yeah, his way to Thailand, wasn't he? It was no, it was oh, the Dominican no. Republic or Dominican. Okay. okay, but it was still it was still like a sex a sex tourism. Was it for yeah. was it for women? Uh, I I think the the insinuation from everything was that it was uh, young boys. See again, like these are the people that are anti-gay. Again, once again, anti-drug. air quotes. <laughs> air quotes Little boys, allegedly, oh. possibly, that is what the rumor is. Yeah. You cannot get sued. Yeah. You're all broke. Like, let's yeah, not. <laughs> Nobody's coming after us. It's a fucking podcast. <laughs> we fired an get a fucking cease and desist from Rush Limbaugh's estate. Should we make an LLC? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, apparently, uh, they don't have anybody to replace Rush Limbaugh, so all they do is have hosts on. It just, like, sort of, like, it, it's almost like a clip show for Rush Limbaugh where they'll talk about something recently going on. It's like, hey, remember this one time that Rush talked to this guy on the phone and they'll play the clip? Oh, my So, God. Um, <laughs> like Behind the, the Bastards the just stuff. did a two-parter on yes. Rush Limbaugh, and it was amazing because the second, the second episode really gets into how Rush Limbaugh is more than just the man like he had his claws in the gop to a point that he had like yeah so much power yep so much power that you can't replace that kind of shit he was effectively a cult leader if you really want to just kind of get down to brass tacks i mean yeah you could definitely say that 
You know? Absolutely, because he is, you know, there's there's old recordings of him telling people, like, yo, don't listen to that, listen to me. Like, I'm the one you should follow. Like, Jesus. that's some abusive, gaslighting, cult leader mentality. Well, that's yeah, what Trump's he, doing. He, he, he literally, like, tells, he, like, he literally told them, like, you don't need to, you, you don't need to think for yourselves. Like, you, I, I tell you what to think. Yeah, like, you don't have to read like, this, I'll read it for you. <laughs> he, says, no. he says the quiet part loud all the time, and his, and the, and the, winking hogs that listened to him were like all over it oh my god so billy holiday's dead and then anslinger dies of a overblown prostate yeah (laughs) i hope you couldn't pee he had to pee so bad i mean i (laughs) you know it's funny is we're making fun of him right now but i gotta pee so bad oh my god guinness just chilling down there waiting to exit oh fantastic all right on that on that note (laughs) <laughs> yeah. On that note, my prostate's like the Holland Tunnel on a Monday at 7:30, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna go ahead and get going. So rest in peace, Billy. I'm gonna go play you on the piano for a little bit. I'm gonna go listen to your songs. I'm gonna go listen to the Fallout 4 soundtrack. Crazy, he calls me. <sighs> Good evening. Note. And I'm gonna smoke a bowl just to say fuck Harry Essler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs>